Episode 68, How to Overcome Procrastination for Good. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live... Life Amplified. Victor Hugo is the legendary author who wrote Les Miserables and many other stories, all of them completely implausible and ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, I'm a musical theater guy. I love Les Mis, the stage show, but it is based on a premise of a man who spent 50 years running from the police over a stolen loaf of bread. Give me a break. <laughs> love the music in the show. I know Victor Hugo didn't write that. Loved Hugh Jackman in the movie, but... All kind of absurd. But I wanted to talk about Victor Hugo because Les Mis is the book that shot him to fame in the 1800s. And his publishers wanted him to create more amazing work that they could release to the world. Victor Hugo, though, did what so many of us do. He got caught up in procrastination. He was hosting lavish parties at his house. He was out chasing other creative pursuits. He was out traveling the world. And finally, the publishers got upset. They gave him a six-month deadline, or they were going to come after him for financial damages. They said, you've got six months. you got to deliver a new book to us by February of 1831. Now, if you've ever been a writer at all, you know that that's a pretty tight deadline to create your next iconic work. So Desperate Times called for desperate measures. Victor Hugo went to his assistant and had all of his clothing locked up in a trunk that he could not access the key to. So he had no ability to go out in public. He had no clothes to wear. He walked around wrapped in a shawl for six months. And during that time, he got to work. He wrote every day. And he actually beat the deadline. In only five and a half months, he wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I share this for a couple reasons. Number one, it's a pretty funny story. Number two, I think it makes Victor Hugo the world's first high-profile Me Too case. Can you imagine, like, if one of the big authors today, like it was like Tom Clancy or Stephen King, was just, like, parading around in their house wearing nothing but a shawl in front of their assistants? I don't think we'd look too kindly on that. It was different times in the 1800s. But the last reason I share this is to prove to you that procrastination is not a new phenomenon that just happened in the past 50 years because of technology or that we're more overwhelmed and connected than ever. You know, this is an issue that's happened as long as there's been human beings. It goes back so far that Socrates and Aristotle even wrote about this. They did not use the word procrastination. They called it acrasia. And for them, the definition was acting against your better judgment. And we all do this, right? We know that we should eat healthier and work out more, but we really love to eat cake. We know that we should save money and invest for the future, but then we want to go buy the new car to keep up with the Joneses. The question is, why do we do these things? And I've been really inspired by the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. I want to shout him out and recommend that as reading. But coming up today in the podcast, I want to give you some context based on some of the things I've learned in that book. We'll tell you what behavioral psychology says is behind procrastination. We're going to talk a little bit about just the evolution of the human brain plus 
us four amazing strategies to help you beat procrastination for good. Before we get into that, I want to shout out our listener of the week, which is Lauren underscore Pill on Instagram. She's been sharing some quotes from the podcast on her Instagram account and encouraging people to check us out. I love you so much for listening, Lauren. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you would like to be our listener of the week, three ways to do it. You can do what Lauren did, screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. You can join our private Facebook community for listeners of the podcast. It's our Life Amplified Power Tribe. We have a link for that in the show notes. I'm in there often throughout the week checking in, giving you some additional coaching and resources to help get you through the week. Or you can just leave us those five-star reviews up on Apple, which helps us with the algorithm. And by the way, if you're listening to this episode, don't be a procrastinator. Do it today. In the meantime, we're going to help you bust through procrastination this week on Life Amplified. Behavioral psychology uses the term time inconsistency. And essentially what they're talking about is the fact that human beings value immediate rewards over future rewards. You know, anytime we're setting goals for our life, we're really just making plans for our future self. We can envision the life that we want. It makes us feel really good when we think about it. But the problem is, is our present self is the only one that can take action to bring that vision to fruition. And the present self is all about instant gratification. Now, there's very good evolutionary reasons for this. If you've ever watched a nature documentary on Nat Geo or Animal Planet, you could see this beautiful, majestic deer just grazing in the Serengeti. And every decision that deer makes provides an immediate benefit to its life. When it's hungry, it just walks over and munches on some grass. When there is the threat of a massive storm, you know, rolling into the plains, then it runs and takes shelter either under brush or under a tree or somewhere that it can be protected. And if there's a threat in the environment, there's a cheetah or a lion or, or some creature out there waiting to eat it. It knows that it must flee. It takes off and runs as fast as it can. So if most of the choices that you make throughout the day about where to eat, where to sleep, make an immediate and clear impact on your life, then you're living in what science calls an immediate return environment, that there's a direct correlation between the action I'm taking and an immediate result afterwards. But if you look at what causes most stress and anxiety for people in the modern age, it's living in a delayed return environment, that there are so many things that we invest time in that don't give us an instant gratification. Even if you go out and you make that big sale, you know, that you kill it as a salesperson in the office, there's a giant commission waiting for you. But you got to wait a few weeks for it to show up on your paycheck. Trust me, like I wish that I could just eat kale for one day and drop eight pounds, but that's not the way it works. I know that the diet and the exercise I'm committing to today in the present moment, if taken consistently, will deliver long-term results to my health. And here's the biological tension in all this, that the brain that we have was never designed for life in a delayed return environment. If you look at the earliest remains of modern humans, if you go back and look at Homo sapiens that are you know 200,000 years old, they were the first people that had a brain relatively similar to ours. In particular, the neocortex, 
which is the newest part of the brain that handles all the higher functions like language, is the same size today as it was 200,000 years ago. It's never really evolved. We're walking around with outdated hardware that was meant to serve Paleolithic ancestors. And that's all we needed back then because the only concerns in our life were about food, water, shelter. You know, do I have access to fire? Am I in connection to the tribe? Is my family safe? Is there a threat in the environment? Those are the only things we had to worry about. But if you look over the last hundred years, though, the environment has changed. We have automobiles and airplanes and the advent of the Internet. We all carry around smartphones and we listen to the news headlines about the economy and whether there's impending doom. So a lot of the big stresses for us that cause the most anxiety are, oh, my God, what happens if I get laid off? What if I don't get the promotion? What if the stock market crashes and I lose my 401k? We're dealing with all of these long term problems with a brain that's only equipped to make decisions that give us instant gratification in the present. So our brain spent hundreds of thousands of years evolving for one type of environment, and in the blink of an eye, everything changed. We're now in a delayed return environment. This is the cause of anxiety. We all want certainty in the present moment, but to some degree, we have to live our lives with an amount of uncertainty. So you can't rely on long-term consequences and rewards to motivate you in the present moment. This is how procrastination happens. The real key here is we've got to find a way to move those future rewards and or punishments up into the present. And you've heard me talk about this concept on the podcast that we all have our had enough point. If you're listening to this podcast on the way to work today and you're headed to a soul-sucking job that you hate, but you haven't made the investment in getting a coach to find your purpose or you haven't taken action to bring your dreams to life, it's because the pain and anxiety that you're feeling right now isn't quite enough for the future consequences to turn into present consequences. You know, perhaps you're a person where the doctors have told you you need to watch your cholesterol, your blood pressure, you should be exercising more. But you're thinking in your mind, oh, you know, heart attack and stroke, that's 10 years into the future. I'm good until there's a cardiac event. And now all of a sudden those future consequences have become very real in the present. And that gives you the leverage and the change to make a massive decision, you know, to eat healthier, to quit smoking, to get your butt on the treadmill. You've reached your had enough point. You know, I get so many emails from potential clients who I've talked to in the past and they're interested in coaching, but they keep delaying on it. They're like, oh, Dan, you know, I'm going to be one of your clients one day, but I just I got to save some more money. I got to stay in this job that I'm at. And they're secure, right? There's an immediate gratification of getting that paycheck every two weeks until the company goes belly up and they get laid off or until something happens and the company gets bought out, then there's an immediate threat. And then we want to take action in the present. Most people are content to wait 
until the pain of where they're at becomes so great that it outweighs the fear of making a change. And that's when they cross the had enough point and they move into action. And here's what's interesting. Has there ever been something that you've just delayed on and delayed on and and you put off into the future? And the minute that you start working at it, have you ever noticed that that tension starts to go away? Living in the guilt and the shame of not honoring your intentions and saying what you're going to do is often so much more difficult than doing the work itself. I've noticed this. I think I mentioned to you last week on the podcast, I've recommitted to my health goals. You know, I'm doing some training. I'm doing some meal planning. I'm going to Orange Theory Fitness to go work out, which I was not aware until I signed up that a huge part of that is getting on a treadmill and not just power walking. You're running on that treadmill for a good 25 to 30 minutes every class. And for me, I've never been a runner. Like, I dread it. I walk in every day and I'm just like, all right, I'll start on the treadmill to get it over with. But once I'm in the act of moving my body for two to three minutes, I generally feel pretty good. And during those last two or three minutes, even when I'm tired, I'll find myself cranking that treadmill up to seven miles an hour. And I'm really going hard just to push myself more. I never would have expected that before I started, but once I'm actually in it, there's a pride and satisfaction of getting the work done that really propels you forward. So now that we have the context on why biologically we stay stuck, how do we move beyond it? Because you are greater than your biology. The one thing that you do have is free will. You can make a new choice at any given time, but what are the strategies to get you out of procrastination? Here you go. These are my best four. We're going to start today with number one. You have got to make a commitment. You know, you have to design your future actions ahead of time. And you have got to make a commitment that forces you to become that future self. You know, I think investing in yourself is still one of the most powerful ways to do it. I've told you the story about making a $30,000 investment with a very high-level mentor at a point in my life when I didn't have that money in the bank. But I knew by signing up and putting my butt on the line on this non-refundable program that it was going to have to show up differently, that I was going to have to take more massive action action in my business and to put my voice out there into the world. And within doing that, I immediately tripled my business in a very, very short amount of time. Within 90 days of making that investment is when I launched this podcast, which you know has helped me reach people now in over 70 countries. So making the commitment that you can't back out of is everything. It's forcing you to become your future self. What else would that look like? Well, you could be the person who saves money by having it automatically deducted from your account. You know, it's one of the things that I did uh, the first time I ever got fired in my corporate career is I worked with a financial planner and just started having $250 deducted out of my checking account and put into a rainy day fund for an emergency. And I never even saw that money. I didn't even know that it had disappeared. But over time, that accrued with interest, and it gave me something to fall back on when I left my corporate career to start this business. But there was a commitment up front just to say, you know what? That's fine. Go ahead and take the money. 
in 2018, I told you the story that I actually cut the cord with Netflix, with cable. I got rid of it all because that was a huge distraction that would get in the way of me taking action in my business. So once that was no longer on the table and I made that commitment, it freed up a lot of time for me to focus on creating new content and you know, reaching and impacting more people. You could start talking about your big goals publicly to people and put a date on it. You know, if you're ready to go run and train for a marathon, then declare it to your friends. Post it on social media because then it creates accountability. You've made a decision that you can't turn back from. So commitment devices are everything. A second strategy that you could look into comes from a researcher out of the University of Pennsylvania who talks about temptation bundling, meaning that you start taking action doing the things that you've been procrastinating on while simultaneously doing something you love. You know, if you love this podcast or there's an audiobook that you're really wrapped up in, maybe you make a commitment that you only listen to those things while you're on the treadmill or on the stationary bike. You could make a commitment that you're only going to watch Mrs. Maisel when you are folding and ironing the clothes that have been sitting in the dryer for the past week and a half untouched. Maybe you only go out to eat at your favorite restaurant when you're doing it with your family and, you know, making a commitment that everybody leaves their cell phones in the car so that you can connect better. And there's that undivided time every week where everybody gets a chance to bond. But that's the plan is you only do the things you love while you're simultaneously doing the things that you procrastinate on. The third way that you can overcome procrastination is what James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits. This is called the Ivy Lee Method, and it's based on a story from the early 1900s that Charles Schwab was one of the richest men in the world, and he was looking to increase the productivity of his business so that they would have an edge on the conversation. So he met with this highly respected productivity consultant named Ivy Lee, and this is the plan that they put together. At the end of each workday, you write down the six most important things that you need to accomplish tomorrow and make sure that you prioritize this from most important to least. The idea is when you wake up the next morning or when you arrive at work, you concentrate on nothing except the first task. You work until the first task is finished before you even move on to the second. And I've seen other people do variations of this, that you don't even check the email when you get into the office until that first important task of the day is done. Then you can approach the rest of your day in the same way, you know, move on to the second task, the third task. If there's any unfinished work on that list at the end of the day, you just move it over and start a new list of six items for the following day. But you repeat this process every single day. And I know that this sounds simple, but Charles Schwab and his executive team gave it a try. After three months, they were so excited that he called uh, Ivy Lee into his office and wrote him a check for $25,000, which in 1918 was an even bigger chunk of money than it is today. But, you know, two of the great things about that approach is, number one, it's simple. It doesn't take a lot of heavy lifting. And number two, it forces you to make tough decisions. If you're a person who's living in overwhelm, it's not so much that you have too much to do. You just have a lack of priorities and you have unrealistic expectations about how much any human being can accomplish in a day. So it's really just a matter if you focus on the most important thing in front of you and you knock that out, 
every single weekday, by the end of the month, you've taken 25 huge tasks and crossed them off the list. And here's the other thing that I'd like to share with you when it comes to this idea of procrastination. So many of us take pride in the fact, and I think corporate America encourages this notion that we've got to be multitaskers. We've got to be doing seven things at any given time in order to prove our mettle or to prove our worth to people. But the human brain can't really juggle that. It's not about multitasking as it is effectively single tasking. Have you ever done that where you've been trying to write an email and be on a phone call and simultaneously eating lunch at your desk? How does that work out for you? There's times when you zone out, you're not paying attention on the phone, or there's typos all over the email. It's really just about simplifying your life and getting one thing done at a time. You know, the myth of multitasking is that if we're busy, somehow we're better and Typically, if we're just overly busy, it just means that we're overly stressed, overly judgmental of ourselves, and eventually you're going to be overly burned out. And the danger is, is if you're a person who believes that you have to get it done all at once and that you've got to do it by yourself and that you can't ask for help, it's eventually going to feed into some of those BS beliefs that we've talked about the past couple of weeks on the podcast, you know, because when you can't get it all done at once or life becomes overwhelming, then you go back to the old programming of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. And it just creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the fourth strategy that's going to help you take this and actually implement it. Because here we are with this podcast all about procrastination. And if what I'm sharing with you really, really resonates, what do you think you're going to do? Oh, that Ivy Lee method sounds great. You know what? I'm going to start it next Monday. Or you do it for two or three days and then you're like, well, you know, my kids got sick or I was up late the night before. I'm just going to sleep in and not do it. You need an implementation strategy and you need somebody to help you with the mindset to keep you focused so that you're not overgiving to everybody else. So that you are taking the time to design your day before corporate America or your family or your friends will design it for you. Get a coach. Find a mentor. Because everything I share with you on this podcast, it works. It's a gift from my heart to yours. But there are so many people who email me all the time and they're like, well, Dan, I don't know. I just need to go back and re-listen to that last episode you did about abundance again. And that's going to change things for me. The problem isn't a lack of knowledge. You know all the things to do, but there's a part of you that isn't implementing it. There's a part of you that's scared that if you set your priorities, that other people will be upset with you, that you're going to let other people down. There's a part of you that is afraid to ask for help because you're afraid other people will let you down. Whatever it is, you've got to have some coaching and some mentorship to get beyond those mindsets so you can take the strategies you're learning and make them real. So those are the four ways to beat procrastination. Number one, you got to come up with a commitment device. There has to be an upfront investment or commitment on your part. Number two, temptation bundling. Do the thing that you love while you're doing the thing that you've been putting off. Number three, we talked about the Ivy Lee method, that you want to break your day down just into six tasks that you need to complete, put them in an order of importance. And number four, get a coach 
because the accountability is everything. I had two of my private clients who graduated this week, and that was the biggest thing that came up. You know, they've known for years what they should do, but there was nobody to really hold them accountable. And because they had made an investment in themselves in coaching, they wanted to justify the investment. They showed up differently. They've got more done in 12 weeks than they've gotten done in the past 12 years. And that's the case for any high-level mentor that you sign up with. If you think that I could be that person for you, you can get all the details on how we can work together at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net is where you go for that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or you can always just reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at CSC Dan Mason. Or you can always look me up on Facebook as well. It is an honor and privilege to serve you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to spend with me this week. If you love what you're hearing, please share this with a friend. Pass it on. And don't forget, turn down the volume on your negativity so you can turn up the volume on your purpose and live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.